Jai Krishna, Shaitanya, Prabhu Nichidanda, Siyadveta Giridhar, Sivasadi Gora Bhaktivinda, Shaita Dharpana Marjanam, Bhava Mahadavagni, Nirapanam, Shreya Kairava Chandrika Vitadanam, Vidjavadu Jivanam, Anandam Budi Vardanam, Pratipadam Punamritas Vadanam, Sarvatmas Napanam Param Jayate Shri Krishna Sankirtana. So we've been reviewing this first sloka of Sri Sri Shiksastika, and we're down to the fourth line. Now you notice it's quite interesting the way the this this sloka, of course, is composed by Sri Shaitanya personally, Supreme Lord, when he came to to exhibit himself as a devotee to teach what is the highest standard of pure devotional service, pure love for the Supreme Lord. So this verse alone, just the opening verse, sloka, is, is amazing in and of itself. Seven prime benedictions are listed, but you notice the benedictions are progressively from the material plane to the topmost spiritual plane in this verse alone. So it begins, Sheto Darpana, cleaning the heart, cleaning the contamination of material existence. Bhava Maha Devagni Nirvapana, putting out that fire that is painful to the soul, the fire of material attachment, the fire of, of samsara, of repeated birth and death, of karmic reaction created by a desire to exploit this world instead of live in this world according to some spiritual direction. Treya Kairava Chandrika Vitarana. So now, this third benediction, Lord Chaitanya begins to talk about the, the coming into this, our own spiritual reality. Now we're in a material reality which we accept as ourself. We accept this body as ourself. We accept uh, the society. We accept the family that we're in as our family. And all these things, of course, we do have a relationship in as far as we understand, you know, and, and associate with a material existence. There's also our spiritual existence. Now, the distinction is our material existence and circumstance is temporary. The body I have now, it's not going to be here. It's not going to last. I'm not going to have it. It's going to grow old. It's going to become diseased and it's going to wither and it's going to die. Everybody here. So my family also, I'm going to be pulled away from my family. And uh, the sages give us an analogy. They say, coming together in a family relationship, it's, it's like a bunch of straws on a river. And you know the straw, you know, you've seen some straw on the river, some grass, and the river's running along, and a few of the grasses or straws, they clump together. And then there may be some downfall of more rain or the current changes and the straws are separated. That unfortunately is the reality of our relationships here in this world. We'll be together from some time with a certain group of people. We'll call these people our family, our community, our society, our city, our nation, our county, our state. So many designations we give, but whatever the designations we have now, they're going to be separated. They're going to be dissipated. So the straws, they come together for some time in the current of the ocean of time. And in the same current of the ocean of time, we're pulled apart. But this third benediction that the Sankirtan movement is giving us Lord Shaitanya is revealing you have a spiritual existence and that is eternal. And the friendships and the relationships we build in that, in that eternal reality, spiritual reality of our true self, separate from the false designations of this body, that, that will grow as we become spiritually mature. And in this age, we become spiritually mature and we come into our own spiritual reality by the Sankirtan movement, by this chanting. 
by chanting the names of the Lord. Now we're gradually, we're, the material things. First two benedictions dealt with the material things. Now we come into a beginning to reveal what is our spiritual reality. Shreya Kairava Chandrika Vitaranam. As we said, it's like a small plant. It blossoms. It blooms and then it flowers. The analogy. Another translation of this. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't write it down. So, yeah. What is the analogy with the moonshine and the white lotus? Well, the the lotus. There are lotuses that bloom in the evening, and there's lotuses that bloom during the day. So there's there's a lotus that blooms, and the moonshine is Lord Chaitanya's moon. You've ever heard that? Lord Chaitanya's moon is rising. So that's the analogy given here as to how our true self blossoms in the moonshine of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement. That's the way I understand it. How our good fortune blossoms in the, in the moonshine. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Anandam Bodhivadanam. Now we're talking about enjoying and having an understanding of the fact that unlike material enjoyment, spiritual enjoyment is ever-increasing. Ever-increasing without limit, no bounds, like an ocean. You can't find the boundary. Anandam, Ananda, we all know what Ananda is, bliss, joyfulness. Anandam Bhutivadanam, Ananda, an unlimitedly increasing ocean of transcendental bliss. What is the translation? Increasing. Vardhanam, Pratipadam Punamritas Vardhanam. At every step, Purna Amrita, of the full nectar as Vardhanam, giving a taste. At every step. That's kind of pretty amazing. Generally, when we look at spiritual discipline, you're, you're, you're really not going to, to get to the platform. Let's you know, any, there's so many spiritual disciplines. But generally, the progression is very slow, and the reward only comes after mature practice. You have to be fully matured in the practice. Like the mystic yogis who want to attain cities. Cities are powers, become smaller and smaller, lighter. They can even, you know, take some some metal and make it into gold. These powers are there. The living entity can obtain these powers. Now when we look to the yogic cities, what's required to get to that level? Lots of hard work. You have to control your mind. You have to control your senses. You have to control your life airs. You have to raise the life airs up through the various chakras. And only after you've mastered the discipline do you get the reward, the enjoyment. The Sankirtan movement, at every step from beginning to complete self-realization, at every step, it's like drinking nectar. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable to the soul. Even when someone just comes in and participates in kirtan, and associates with devotees. What to speak of eating prasadam? Nectar at every step, at every taste. It's good. It's all good. And from beginning to end, it's, it just is ever-increasing, that transcendental nectar. So tonight's slide. Sarvatma snaparam sarvatma atma. Naparam, bathing of the self for everyone. Atmas Napanam, bathing of the self. So I'll read the translation uh, as we have. Sarvatmas uh, Napanam, the holy name bathes the soul, cleansing it of all subtle and gross contamination, and immerses it in ecstasy. 
The Maha Mantra is capable of inducing the highest ecstasy in the heart. Sarvatma Snapanam. The Atma, our true self, our spiritual self, is bathed, Snapanam, just like a rain shower. And all the contamination, both subtle and gross, is washed away. And then, of course, the last of the sloka, Param Vijayate Shukrishna Sankirtanam. Because the Holy Name gives these seven effects, Param Vijayate Shukrishna Sankirtanam. It is supremely, Param, victorious, Jayate, over material existence. It destroys the material world and establishes the soul in a world of joy. This first verse speaks to the seven benedictions of uh, the Sankirtan movement. And next week we'll go into the second verse, wherein Lord Chaitanya says, uh, Really, your holy name gives all benedictions. Let's not limit it to these second seven. Isn't that the second verse? Oh, my Lord, your holy name can render all benedictions. To the living entities. All spiritual and all material benedictions. Without limit. We can meditate on that. Any questions? Again, we could discuss just this verse of Sixastika for forever and still not get to the to a full and complete understanding. But as I said, Lord Chaitanya is so kind that in this Sixastika, he's put the whole process of self-realization from beginning to end in a very nutshell form in these slokas from beginning to end. Okay. Bhagavad Gita, 18th chapter. So we can chant together text 37 on page 824. Yet tad agre visam iva, parinamme mritotamam, tatsukam satvikam proptam, atma budi prasadacham. That which in the beginning may be just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar, and which awakens one to self-realization is said to be happiness in the mode of goodness. Omajanatramanandasya, jnana salakaya, chakshun militanyena. Just my Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torch and light of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. As we've been discussing, Lord Krishna is giving an explanation of different factors of activity and how one can judge those factors within the modes of material nature. Now, just like this verse we just chanted, in this verse we chanted, we're talking about the mode of goodness. Now, there's a distinction here, interesting enough, between the mode of goodness, activities that are undertaken in the mode of goodness, and fully transcendental activities. So we were, we were discussing Siksastika and the last line of Shiksastika, wherein full transcendental activities are being described. And, there be, and the characteristic of those spiritual activities is they're fully pleasurable at every step along the way. Here we're talking about material, we're talking about activities conducted under the modes of material nature, and specifically the mode of goodness. From the, mode of good, the mode of goodness, if we can get our consciousness, if we can elevate our consciousness and conduct ourselves in the mode of goodness, it's very easy to step off from there into true cent per cent, unadulterated, unmotivated, uninterrupted devotional activities, spiritual life. So here Krishna is explaining mode of goodness. 
So let's stop, let's jump back one verse where we left off last week. Text 36. O best of the Barthas, Barthas, now please hear from me about the three kinds of happiness by which the conditioned soul enjoys, by which he sometimes comes to the end of all distress. First kind of happiness, happiness in the mode of goodness. Krishna is doing the same throughout this whole chapter. He begins in the mode of goodness, then he explains the same in the mode of passion, then in the mode of ignorance. That which in the beginning is just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar, and which awakens one to self-realization is said to be happiness in the mode of goodness. Well, one may question uh, the premise I just put forward. We see in the life of a devotee, someone who takes to spiritual life under the direction of the bona fide spiritual master, that in the beginning it may not be fully enjoyable. It may not be like nectar. It may be hard to come into the association of devotees, chant Hare Krishna. It may be difficult to follow the direction the spiritual master gives. Spiritual master wants to pull us out of the material world. So he gives us directions to control our mind and senses in order to accomplish that. Generally, those, those, those regulations in the beginning are difficult. If you're a meat eater, you can't eat meat. You can't engage in that kind of violence and expect to make spiritual advancement. You have to give that up. In due course of time, it must be given up. So no meat eating. He'll say no meat eating. Now generally someone comes in the association, it's not immediately no meat eating. It's let, let us teach you how to eat. <laughs> let us feed you the best food. Then the meat eating becomes very simple. But that's a regulation. It's something that one must take on. An austerity that one must take on to make spiritual progress. No meat eating. No illicit sex. Sex life, we're all attached. If you want sex, get married. Have a wife. Have good offspring. But don't have sex like the hogs and the dogs and the monkeys, you know. Don't go from branch to branch, from man to woman, woman to man, back and forth, this one, that one. No. Be responsible. Spiritual master will say, no illicit sex. Sex only in marriage. Even maybe stricter in that if you can. But let's start there. No illicit sex. No gambling. Gambling also means no speculation. If you want to know what spiritual life is, Tadvidi pranipate na pari prashne na sevaya upadekshanti te jnanam janinas tatpadarsina. We don't speculate, we don't jump from philosophy to philosophy. If we want spiritual knowledge, we don't gamble with our with ourselves. We go to a bona fide authority, a bona fide spiritual master, tadvidi pranipatena, submissively. Pranipatena. Please, can you help me? Can you help me advance in spiritual life? Pariprashnena. And we inquire. And we inquire and we inquire. Until, our, until we're satisfied. Sevaya. And we render some service. Spiritual masters giving us everything, we can give some service. Sevaya. Gambling also entails not only that we don't go off and squander our money in the hopes <laughs> of getting a big return. We work honestly in the world. And we don't needlessly speculate when it comes to spiritual matters. We approach someone who actually knows. Now in the beginning, that may require some little bit of research work on our part. But once we find a spiritual master, then we surrender and we can advance. Yes, ma'am? Sometimes um, people think that what you're referring to is like, don't think. You, know, you shouldn't contemplate things, you shouldn't think about things. You should just be what this other person says. 
blindly follow. Blind following. But you did say inquiry. Yes. Tadvidi pranipatena, submissive. We go with a little bit of humility. We don't approach someone who has knowledge as if we already know. I mean, could you imagine walking up to Einstein and saying, you know, I really know what relativity is all about. He's going to say, you think so? <laughs> well, let's discuss it. So, similarly, we don't, we don't approach with, a, with some puffed up attitude that I already know. If we already know, what do we need a spiritual master for? If you already know how to play the, the, the violin like a virtuoso, what do, you need a, what do you need an instructor for? And of course, in this age, there's so many people that think they already know. Well, if they already know, why are they still suffering? If they already know, why are they <laughs> jumping from tree to tree like the monkey? I mean, if you already know, why are you still trying to exploit this world for sense gratification, which is the lowest type of enjoyment the living entity could possibly have? We're meant to have spiritual enjoyment. The enjoyment we are meant to meant to experience is on a much higher plane than what we can get here. A little hearing, a little seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. I mean, what is that compared to diving in an ocean of transcendental ecstasy? No comparison. No meat eating. No illicit sex. No gambling. What's the fourth one? No intoxication. We all want a little escape. You want a little escape? Come here. We can escape into some place where there's some real, where there's reality, not illusion. Most people want to escape into illusion. Let me drink something. Let me smoke something. Let me pop something. Let me shoot something. That'll, that'll get me there. Get you where? Where's it going to take you? Is it really going to take you where you can really, really, really enjoy? Well, what happens when it ends? What happens when you come down? When you crash? <laughs> when you're broke? When all you can see in life, all you can see in life, moment to moment, is acquisition of that substance. That's what... it. That's the level it goes to. I have a dear friend. I grew up with him. And he's an alcoholic. He's been an alcoholic since he was 20 years old. He came back from the service. And he lives day to day. And, I mean, I love him dearly, but there's nothing in his existence that does not revolve around that drink. And when you talk to him now... He's a couple years older than I am. I talk to him now, and there's you can't. There's nothing in his. There's nothing there. Used to you could carry on a conversation. Now there's nothing. It's just, oh, can we have another drink now? And it's so regrettable. That's how how far intoxicants can take you, take you to your wit's end, where there's no wit left. Here we're talking about motive goodness, and we're talking about the spiritual master giving us some direction whereby we can gain control of the mind and senses and come to the topmost spiritual platform. Well, in the verse that Sri Shaitanya gives, the first verse of Shiksastika, he talks about at every step along the way there's a taste of spiritual enjoyment. Yes, there is. And if you can take cent for cent, hundred percent, without any interruption, to the practice of devotional service, and the mind doesn't drag you here and there, then yes, it's immediately tasteful. Unfortunately for us, to come to immediately to that higher platform is somewhat difficult. We are conditioned. We are diseased by material life. And therefore, we have to progress in the beginning, it seems, a little slowly. But still, 
even though attaining control of the mind and senses may be a little take a little time to accomplish still the process by which we accomplish that control is joyful krishna talks about that in bhagavad gita what's he mentioned rajavidyarajaguyam pavitramidamuttamam this knowledge is the king of education this knowledge bhagavad gita is the king of education the most secret of all secrets it's the purest knowledge because it gives direct perception of the self. It's the perfection of religion. It contains all religiosity in a non-sectarian manner. We're not here to convert anybody. Whatever your, whatever your propensity is in spiritual life, Krishna consciousness, the Sankirtan movement, will enhance it. And what? How does it verse go on? And it is everlasting and it is joyfully performed. Everlasting and joyfully performed. Whatever we do, whatever little advancement we can make, whatever step we are on in the ladder of progress in devotional life and spiritual life, it's everlasting. You're not going to go down a step. That is to say you may not step off the ladder for a time. Our mind and senses are always there. Material nature is always trying to drag us back. We have to be a little bit on, 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 on guard because the mind, immediately, we see something we want. We may see something. Oh, we want that. Oh. I used to take intoxication. Ah, just one little drink won't hurt. No, it will hurt. It won't really hurt in the sense that it would hurt from a material viewpoint. It'll hurt in the sense that we've made a bond with a teacher. And the teacher, the doctor, is trying to cure us of our material disease. And he's given us the proper medicine and the prescription and the diet where we can progress nicely. And we're ignoring it. It's not so much that even of itself, it's so bad. Because we're not this, we're not material anyway. What's bad is we've taken good instruction and neglected it. And in that neglect, our relationship with our spiritual master, who's really going out of his way to help us advance, is we're not dealing in a very straightforward and loving manner. So it's really our heart that's affected more than our head. <laughs> Does that make sense? In the mode of goodness, in the beginning, things are difficult. Whatever you want to acquire can be difficult. Here specifically, Bhaktivedanta Swami is talking about mode of goodness in spiritual activities. But it's also applicable to other things. If you want to be that concert violinist, in the beginning there's a lot of hard work. There's no, there's no shortcuts to, to becoming a, a concert, uh, what is it, virtuo, what, do you, what do they say? Virtuoso. Yeah, lots of hard work, or dancer, or whatever, right? Hard work. You don't just get up there and do it. Well, sometimes you do. But... That means you worked hard last time around. Very few of us are born Mozarts or Beethovens where we immediately come out and start composing, you know, <laughs> concertos and symphonies. But they had some. Believe me, if they didn't work this time around, they worked hard last time. And even that person that we look at in material life when we say, look, this person, look, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Well, he worked for it. The laws of material nature are there. So that silver spoon came from hard labors in a prior situation. Moving right along. Happiness in the mode of passion. Text number 38. That happiness which is derived from contact with the senses, with their objects, and which appears like nectar at first, but poison at the end, is said to be of the nature of passion. Purport, a young man and a young woman meet. 
and the senses drive the young man to see her, to touch her, and to have sexual intercourse. In the beginning, this may be very pleasing to the senses, but at the end, or after some time, it becomes just like poison. They are separated, or there is divorce. There is lamentation, there is sorrow, etc. Such happiness is always in the mode of passion. Happiness derived from the combination of the senses and the sense objects is always a cause of distress and should be avoided by all means. So here we're talking about the highest relationship that we can conceive of on this plane, material plane. <coughs> Sex enjoyment. And generally, if it's done religiously, what comes? Well, it's done under the, you know, under the direction of, of, of religion. There's marriage. Even that, which is so pleasurable, that nice family relationship, because, it's a, because the pleasure is derived from the senses, there's seldom the, there's, of course, family life that is, that is built around both the husband and wife making spiritual advancement, but that's not be, what is being spoken of here. <coughs> and especially in this age, that's not generally the case. I don't know, what's the rate of divorce in this society? About Anybody? 50%. Hmm? About 50%. Pretty high. Half of them don't make it. Wow. So that's, that's, of course, a degradation of the age of Kali. But the point Krishna is making here is that that kind of enjoyment, when, we, when, we, when what we seek, where we seek our pleasure is through the material senses. When that's the place where we seek pleasure, it's, what's he say? Which appears like nectar at first, but poison in the end is said to be of the nature of passion. It looks like nectar. It looks great. There's a bank. Let me walk in there and take all their money. <laughs> that looks great. Looks great to me. Anybody want to join in? Looks tremendous. But unfortunately, I'm driven by my senses. I want money. I want to acquire. I'll go in there. I'll steal it. I'll get it by hook or by crook. That's like or, those Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> okay, or I see some nice Krispy Kreme donuts and it looks like nectar and here we go and one doesn't just quite do it let no. me get a second one ah, let me get a dozen ah, let's just buy a box there's 24 in the box I don't think eating donuts and robbing a bank is on the same well, the point is the point is at one point, one's, one's desiring the opulence or desiring the taste, the ten. So this sense or that sense, the point is, in the beginning, it looks great. One in the mode of passion goes for it. And at the end, I may blow up like a balloon or get an upset stomach or get arrested and thrown in jail along with all my cohorts. Yeah, the appeal is all the same. It's all the same. The appeal. I mean, people would like to have all that money in the bank. They just don't want to take the risk of robbing. Yeah, everybody the wants it. Also, they both bind us to this material world. Whether you go and rob a bank, you become entangled with those people, and it, therefore you're in the re, you have to deal with the reactions. Mm -hmm. Whether you're opening hospitals and schools, you're still bound by the reactions that comes with those good works. So all of those things bind us to this material world, whether it's good works or bad works. You get both, both of them. So that's that's the, the result. <coughs> Any questions? Passion looks good, ends badly. Goodness takes a little bit of hard work, ends well. No reward is there. And that happiness which is blind to self-realization, which is delusion from beginning to end, and which arises from sleep, laziness, and illusion, is said to be of the nature of ignorance. It doesn't, it, 
There's nothing there. It doesn't even look good in the beginning. <laughs> doesn't look good in the beginning. It isn't good when you do it. And it doesn't end well. There is no being existing, either here or among the demigods in the higher planetary systems, which is freed from these three modes born of material nature. <laughs> so whether you're a demigod or whatever, you're not... What's you're Krishna saying? Bhagavad Gita about the divisions of planetary systems. What's his conclusion regarding higher and lower? Anyone? No matter if you go up or down, you still have to return to the metal planetary systems or the earth planets to... Right. To, uh, you know, achieve a birth that's appropriate for self-realization, for Krishna He doesn't quite say that. No. That's, not, that's more in Bhagavatam. In Bhagavad Gita, he says what? Abrahma Bhuvana Loka. From the highest planet in this material world to the lowest planet, all are in places of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place. Now, Amanda was going a little bit deeper well, in the fact that for spiritual life, this planet, this atmosphere is actually more advantageous than on the higher planets. Well, that's very practical, isn't it? If I go to Hawaii, <laughs> heaven on earth, I mean, what's the motivating force? I mean, really, you're enjoying all the time. You know, it's always beautiful and sunny and the nice breeze and the oceans and, you know, what generally in that place like, what is it? It's a vacation. It's a resort area. What do you do there? You relax and enjoy. Eat. Hmm? Eat and swim. Mm. The great sages explain that although the living entities on the higher planetary systems, there's 14 divisions of planetary systems in this universe, at all universes. 14 general divisions. And Earth is in the center firmly situated in the mode of passion. And there's a little clue about that. It seems that, from reading the Bhagavat, that the oceans on the various planets correspond to the mode that, that those planets are in. Now, in the lower planetary systems, the oceans are of liquor. <coughs> Earth planet, what's our ocean? Salt. What's salt? Sweat. Hard work. Hard work, mode of passion. Heavenly planet? In the heavenly planets, milk oceans, oceans of nectar. The point was that actually on this planetary system, you're not suffering too much, like in the hellish planets, where you're in the mode of ignorance. Oceans of liquor, my gosh. You go to the well and pull up what? <laughs> so here, you know, a little different. And in the higher planetary systems, it's, it's a vacation all the time. Not only is it a vacation, you don't even see, you know, here we know death, what, a hundred years, that's it, at the outset, you know, how many in this room will make it over a hundred? Hopefully we'll all be that lucky. Heavenly planets, tens of thousands of years in one body, you're not even thinking that death is ever going to even come. What to speak of the fact you have all the mystic opulences, you're a perfect yogi, you, you can manifest whatever you want. So for spiritual life, this planet is actually better for our spiritual advancement than the higher planets and the lower planets. Ideal environment for spiritual progress. 
And this, this environment is so ideal for spiritual progress that when the Supreme Lord personally comes in his, most, in his original feature, his original form, where does he come? Here, as Lord Krishna. And again, as Lord Chaitanya. There is no being existing either here or among the demigods in the higher planetary systems which is freed from these modes of born of material nature. So we've gone through six items in this chapter. First we went through the explanation of what is renunciation and of the types of renunciation, giving up everything or working without attachment. Generally speaking, Krishna looks on works without attachment as more beneficial for our spiritual advancement. Generally very difficult for a man to re renounce his activities. Working without attachment is, is the most progressive way for spiritual advancement. Now that work with detachment has to be done under superior guidance. And that's where the spiritual master comes into play. He, he sees the psychology of the student, and according to that psychology, he, he engages him, according to his propensities. We started there, then we went to, now let me understand what action is. Action isn't just that you do anything. There's more to, that, more to it than that. Anybody remember? Five factors of action. First one, a place to do it. What's our place? Body. Our body. And our body is dependent on what body we, we, are, we receive from material nature. Luckily, we're, we all have human bodies, so we can come together, we can use our intellect, we can advance spiritually. There's 8,400,000 different bodies awarded to the living entity according to his desire by material nature. Eight million of them don't have the intellectual capacity to make spiritual advancement. Trees, birds, creepy crawly things, fish, four-legged animals. Of all the living entities, it's only when we come to this human form of life, 400,000 species of human living entities, that we can progress. And we have the intellect to say, Tato Brahma Jignasha. Tato Brahma Jignasa. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? How did I get in this place? Why is your body different than my body? Uh, you know, is there God? Is there something more than this body? The other living entities, they can't do that. So the body, number two. Jiva. Yes, the self. Our self. And the third, endeavor. Oh, yeah. Got to try to do something. Yeah. Endeavor. And then, senses. the senses. The senses. The body comes with senses, and through the senses, we engage in some action. And the fifth and most important, <laughs> soul. Now, it's interesting. Let's think about this in the context of Bhagavad Gita. What did Krishna say to Arjuna? about what was going to happen. What was the outcome of the battle? Anybody remember? Everyone died. No, but yes. Everybody died, well, almost. You mean talking to Arjuna personally? Yes, yes. When he's saying, you know, either way you go. No? Right. He said, either way you go, right. you go. But right. the outcome of the battle... I've already determined. I've already determined. Think about that in relation to these five factors of action. Krishna said, the battle is already determined. These men here will die because of this battle. You can either work for me as my agent under my direction and assist me And in that way, show your 
love for me, or you can, we'll notice later in this chapter, when every, all the instructions of Bhagavad Gita have been given to Arjuna, Krishna will say, you've heard it all, but the decision, that is yours. But interesting to think the outcome was already determined. And if we look at our lot in life in that way, it changes the way we live our life, doesn't it? The outcome is already determined. Whether I'm going to be successful in this endeavor or that endeavor, already determined. It's already been determined. So much so, for those, except for the transcendentalists, and we're going to discuss that when we close here this evening. So much so that for the, for the materialistic person, there is the science of astrology not in this age. Don't waste your money going and paying someone to give you this science. It's not not available perfectly in this age. So more and more likely than not, they'll simply take your money and tell you something that will not come true. But there is the perfect science. And up to the this age of Kali, it was practiced perfectly in such a way that you could go and they could tell you this is what's going to happen in your life from beginning to end. They see Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, spiritual master. His spiritual master was Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami. And he was an expert astrologer. And Srila Prabhupada, Bhaktivedanta, he said, he, this is, he was the last great astrologer. Of course, he didn't practice it, but he had that talent. Our destiny is already determined. With that in mind, what's the best course of action? Do we really want to get wrapped up in our destiny? Or do we want to pull back and make sure that there's no more predetermined destinies on this plane? That's our choice. That's, our, that's really the only choice we have. We can either take the spiritual life and take advantage of the association of Vaishnavas, the simple process of Krishna consciousness, of spiritual life, and progress spiritually, or we can sit back and let the cards fall where they will. And of course, in doing that, in taking on that karma, we're not going to be able to avoid it. But in taking it on and becoming involved in it and affected by it and not becoming transcendental to it, rising above it, we're simply going to create more destiny. Krishna consciousness is about pulling the plug. Let's pull the plug on our material destiny. It's not going to make us happy. And no matter, no matter how perfectly the stars align for any of us, ultimately there's going to be a black hole at the end. Make sense? I thought I'd close with one verse from Srimad Bhagavatam to kind of put it in perspective. Savai pum sampuro dharmo, yato bhaktir. Savai pum sampuro dharmo. The supreme occupation, dharma, of every living entity. Not any dharma. We all have dharma. We all have our predestined activities. The supreme occupation, dharma, of every living entity. We all have our dharma. But in this verse, we're talking about the supreme dharma. The supreme dharma the best dharma that we can possibly engage in, the best activity that we can engage in. dharmo, yato bhaktira 
is that activity where we can engage in devotional service to the Supreme Lord. Supreme occupation, dharma, of every living entity is that by which pure devotional service is established within the heart. Such devotional service must be unmotivated and uninterrupted in order to completely satisfy the self. Krishna in this chapter of Bhagavad Gita has been talking a lot about activities. Activities are dharma. This verse from Bhagavatam sums it up very nicely. That if we are going to engage in any dharma, savaipum sam paro dharma yato bhaktira doksaje yahaitikiyapati yata yayatmasu prasidati. The supreme occupation dharma of all humanity is that by which men can attain to loving devotional service and to the transcendental Lord. Such devotional service must be unmotivated and uninterrupted to completely satisfy the self. So that's a little bit of a burden for us. Ahaitakiya pratiyata. Ahaitakiya pratiyata. Unmotivated. Generally, when we look at some religious activity, what's in it for me? That's our general tendency. If you want to taste the nectar, the bliss, the spiritual enjoyment, you have to give up desire for any gratification. You have to let it go. Ahaitaki, apratiyata. Unmotivated, uninterrupted. That takes a little practice too. As we said in the beginning, the spiritual master, here, don't do this. Some do's and some don'ts. Vaidhi bhakti, in the beginning, there's some do's and some don'ts. And the do, don'ts sometimes are difficult. Difficult in the beginning, but what's it result in? Nectar. If we can bring our mind and senses under control all the time, in the beginning maybe there's some time on and time off. I can bring my mind under control when I'm in, up early in the morning chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Late at night, oh, there's the TV over in the corner, I wonder what's on. You know, and then all of a sudden, oh, look, they're enjoying. Wow, look, the beach, the women. And the, you know, the mind goes off. Let me try to exploit again. Let me try to enjoy. There's some donuts in the window. <laughs> There's some money in the bank. So, I'll end there. Any questions? Comments? Additions? Yes, sir. So, uh, I got a little bit confused, because uh, in the beginning we were, we were talking how how uh, process is joyful in each step, mm -hmm. in each moment, but uh, now at the end you mentioned that, well, you know, sometimes there is some restriction in them, and, you know, sometimes we need to work and, you know, just give up this, give up that. Mm -hmm. So that's one part, but not only that, we can see like uh, I'm just I'm just trying to I know what you're doing this this, <laughs> this enjoyment issue, uh, uh, especially like here in Arjuna, you know, just looking at the Gita at the beginning, you know, he was like completely terrified, you know, yes. how he describes it uh, that you know I feel the limbs of my body quivering and my mouth drying up. Uh, and several verses, my whole body is trembling, my hair is standing on end, Bhagavan device slipping from my hand. So it's just like and his hair wasn't on standing on end because of ecstasy. That's right. Right. So, you know... Uh, Fear. That's right. Yeah. So we can, we can see that, well, you know, there is this promise or spiritual life to be always happy and, you know, each step, but, you know, even not only that there are some restrictions involved, but only also we see the, the, the great devotees where Krishna, you know, was Arjuna's friend and he was going through such traumatic experiences which doesn't sound very pleasant at all. So can you like... Well, 
first of all, understand Arjuna's in a very unique position. So using Arjuna's uniqueness in this particular circumstance may not be the best way to explain and answer your question. The reason I say that is Arjuna is Krishna's pure devotee. He's already situated perfectly in devotional service. The fact that he comes under the sway of illusion, that his illusion is not like our illusion. His illusion is created by the Lord's internal potency for our benefit. I don't know if you ever heard this saying, but uh, the best way to teach the daughter-in-law is to show the daughter. In other words, the daughter-in-law may be a little distanced, <laughs> right? So to try to teach her something, the mother may not want to approach her directly because why? She'll take it like, she might not take it the best way and then there's, you know, especially from the mother-in-law, you know. So therefore, maybe she'll show by what? By being a little harsh, by putting her own daughter into a little distress, by teaching her, then the daughter, you know, the daughter-in-law is seeing what's going on and then she can relate and understand. So Bhagavad Gita is somewhat like that. So we should never think of Arjuna in the same way as we look at our own selves in the material world. Arjuna is, he has a very intimate relationship with the Supreme Lord. So in that regard, he's being used to teach us. Now let's set that aside, that Spiritual understanding, let's set that aside and look at it from the perspective of the novice coming into this great literature and studying it and seeing Arjuna is bewildered, like we are. What is the result of Arjuna? What is Arjuna's consciousness after he hears from his spiritual master, Krishna, on the battlefield? What's he say at the end of the discourse? Thank you. I understand. I understand it all. And in my understanding, I see that what you want is what I want. Because you are my most, my dear most friend. That's the process of spiritual enlightenment. And Bhagavad Gita, from the first chapter of I will not fight. I don't want to fight. I'm scared. I'm, these are my friends. Or I'm not scared. I just want to renounce. Or let me give you some social politics that will create unwanted population. I mean, I can give you all kinds of excuses. I just can't fight. But after he finally, he surrenders. Now I accept you as my spiritual master. You tell me what's best for me. So we have the whole discourse of Bhagavad Gita and at the end, what's the position of Arjuna? As an example for us, what's he say? I'm enlightened. Let's fight. I'm ready for this. So does that answer your question in regards to Arjuna? Yeah. All but, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, so... This is an example of great devotee, and we understand it. No, this is an example for, although he's a great devotee, we set that aside. This is an example for all of us. Okay, so, okay. yes. So, more or less, you are saying that, well, we, when we are going through some traumatic experiences in our life, you know, where we don't, how to say, experience this ocean of bliss from Shikshashtaka. Right. You know, that uh, we should be, like, Thankful and say, okay, I now I, I you know I won't do what you want me to do. Uh, you know that's that's the the ending of it. Well, you I know you're well read. This is just one little set of instructions. You've probably read Bhagavatam a few times. So many examples in Bhagavatam. One 
great story after another, after another, after another. People in all kinds of circumstances, no matter what their circumstance, no matter what the cause of their illusion, if they hear properly spiritual knowledge, if they take spiritual knowledge and act on that spiritual knowledge, their miseries are dissipated. Whether they be an elephant that's being attacked by a crocodile, whether they be a king who's too attached to his wife. I mean, how many stories are there in Bhagavatam? And what do we see time and time again in the Bhagavat? When the living entity takes spiritual direction, he is able to give up miseries created by attachment. The difference in this age, in Lord Chaitanya's movement, this process is beginning, from beginning to end, pleasurable. The process is pleasurable. What's not pleasurable is the fact that our mind won't fully surrender. If we were to fully surrender to chanting, to reading, to associating, to taking prashadam, to surrendering and following the order of the spiritual master from day one without letting our mind get the better of us, without purposely neglecting those orders, purposely neglecting, not not some fall down. That's not going to hurt us. When we have some purpose behind our fall down, that hurts. That hurts our relationship. Karma is not significant. Temporary fall downs. Fall downs due to our conditioning. That's what's... That is not... A little bit of devotional service can wipe out more sinful reaction than you could commit in millions of lifetimes. That's what's not important. That is insignificant. What's in, what's significant is the fact that we, in our loving relationship with the spiritual master, have hurt that relationship. And that hurts our spiritual progress. And that applies not only just to our spiritual master, it applies to every devotee. So much care must be taken Forget the sense gratification stuff. You chant Hare Krishna, you respect the spiritual master and Krishna's devotees, you respect Krishna, you respect these great literatures even if you can't study them day in and day out. Just respect them. Worship them. Appreciate them. Do what you can. So you can't follow the regulative principles. At least have some appreciation. In the Bhagavad, Bhaktivedanta in one purport says, those people that simply appreciate this Krishna consciousness movement get the same benefit as those that participate. Wow. Now that doesn't mean if you have some knowledge you should neglect trying to purify yourself. Does that answer your question? Anything else? Yes, sir. So... Uh, <clears throat> We are talking about mother goodness and how it's uh, beneficial and you know those different spectrum of different activities right. and that. But uh, nonetheless, you, you mentioned that uh, our earthly planet is the best for self-realization because there is you know means of passion. So you know it's just like good question. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I think we went into it a little bit. When we're situated in an environment of nothing but goodness, we tend to the pleasures the pleasures available in that environment are, that are the results of pious activities as opposed to the pious activity itself. See there's a distinction. When we per, when we perform pious activities, we're elevated. And the pious activity, when performed in the mode of goodness, then that's elevating to us spiritually. And it's a good jumping off point to the, to, into transcendence. Once you've done austerities and advanced, and you're enjoying the fruits 
of that. On the material plane, within the material world, then the enjoyment on those higher, all in the mode of goodness, everything there is in the mode of goodness, more or less, it's tinged with passion, everything in the world. It's tinged as we discussed. But that, then, then it's more difficult to advance spiritually. So, goodness in performing goodness on this plane is better for spiritual advancement. Enjoying the fruits of the mode of goodness on the higher planets is not as advantageous for making spiritual advancement. That you your have question? to be uncomfortable with material life, and they're so comfortable on the planet. I'm sorry I went way over. I'm getting the evil eye. Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Thank you.